Welcome, friends, to the Speak Out Loud podcast. We are so glad you're joining us today for what is going to be, I think, a really, really special episode. I'm jumping on to give a brief introduction, as you're going to hear in just a minute. This is mainly an interview that a friend of ours, Phoebe Barron, does with Stacy. Many of you will recognize Phoebe. She's an LPC here in the greater Oklahoma City area. We've had her as a guest on the Speak Out Loud podcast a number of times before and been privileged to interview her about anxiety, about dealing with trauma. The idea for this was born out of uh, some pre-discussion we had with Phoebe before we recorded with her last fall. And we've been wanting to talk about for quite a while the diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. It's something that Stacy struggles with. We got to tell you, it's tough. We don't fully understand it all the time. And we know that it's really hard uh, for those that struggle with this, as well as for those that are their loved ones, that are their support system, that are their friends. And we wanted to record this to shed some light on it, but we weren't really sure how to do it. And the idea came really from Phoebe that Phoebe would interview Stacy instead of us interviewing a guest this time. We'd, we'd kind of flip that script and have Stacy being interviewed. I think as you'll hear in just a little bit as, as we get into this, there's really no one I think we trust more with this story and to help us tell this story than Phoebe. And I think you're going to hear that as you hear this really special episode. Usually at the end of a podcast, we'll share with our listeners how to find out more about Speak Out Loud, the things that we're doing, how you can learn more about Stacy. But today, I think, as you'll hear, we want to let this episode end right where it ends. And it's a powerful ending Really want to encourage you to stick all the way to the end. I don't think you'll be disappointed at all. So today, just a couple quick things about how you can learn more about and follow along with us in this journey of sharing hope with those who struggle with mental illness and with those who love and support them. So first off, we'd love for you to check out speakoutloud.me, which is our website. It's a one-stop shop for all things Speak Out Loud. You can pick up a copy of Stacy's book and learn more about her story. The title is You Are Worth Saving, Letters of Hope from a Desperate Heart, it's also an audible with Stacy as the narrator of the audio version of that book. So we'd love for you to get a copy and just connect with her even deeper as, as she walks through her story. You can follow us on socials at speakoutloud.me, the letters M-E. And finally, thank you so much for listening today. Would you go on and rate, share, follow, like, all those different things you can do with the podcast. You don't know how much that helps us. Not only is it an encouragement to us, but it helps us get the word out to more and more so that we can share hope with those who are on a similar journey, and we'd love to connect with you. So today, without further ado, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so thankful for Stacy, her courage, her vulnerability, and I'm so thankful that Phoebe was there to help guide this discussion. Here's the interview with Phoebe Barron and Stacy talking about borderline personality disorder. Well, thanks for having me and uh, doing a little role reversal, a little switcheroo. Yes, thank you, Phoebe. Um, and so uh, we had just talked off off mic, off whatever it is, um, on podcast, but we had been talking off mic a little bit about um, just, I am so interested in y'all's relationship because I think when people hear the, um, the, the diagnosis of borderline personality disorder, they get an image in their head and it's scary. Mm -hmm. And, and I would say a lot of people, like even in the research, it sounds like 
a lot of people struggle to have really close intimate relationships, um, which is sad because I would say a good intimate relationship with a close friend, a spouse, um, a parent would be probably one of the primary healing tools that God would use for someone with borderline personality disorder diagnosis. Right. So I first wanted to go over like, what is a personality disorder in general? So if you guys can hang with me in nerd corner for like <laughs> two seconds, this is important. It is important. Listen, listen. Yes. Um, so personality disorder in general, um, is just a, an enduring and pervasive pattern where people have just a different way of thinking about the world. Yeah. So they tend to have like their, their mood tends to be, um, a little less stable Mm -hmm. and a little bit more sensitive to the outside world and their internal world. Yes. There's usually, um, a lot of difficulties in interpersonal relationships, especially intimate ones. Um, and it also tends to have a lot of impulse control issues as far as like, what does the behavior look like in a lot of different personality disorders? Um, I would say impulse control is, is a part of that. Mm. Um, does any of that like resonate with you? Welcome to my life (laughs) so much. It really, really does. Yeah. Um, Especially kind of the turbulence that, um, can happen and it's so sporadic and just something can trigger it so quickly that I'm even shocked. And I'm just like, where did that come from? And that's scary. Mm. So I definitely, that definition that you just described was totally what I deal with every day, pretty much. Yeah. And it's an internal thing and an and it affects us externally as well. I think Mm -hmm. um, like the word narcissism and narcissistic is such a buzzword these days. That's why I wanted to talk about just personality disorders in general and what they are, because when someone's being selfish, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are a narcissist. Like sure. They're struggling with being selfish, but specifically for borderline personality disorder. So the reason it's called borderline fun fact, Mm -hmm. uh, less fun fact, Mm -hmm. but is, (laughs) is because it, when you, when you look at the symptoms, it kind of borders on, is this a personality disorder or is this a mood disorder? So that's, mm-hmm. that's what borderline means. Okay. It doesn't mean that you're like bordering on reality or anything like that. So there's tends to be, um, issues with like identity development. Um, I think I see people often trying to find their whole identity in one thing that they do. Sure. And there's, um, sometimes a whole lot of effort to avoid real or imagined abandonment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's just this underlying internal feeling of like, so everybody's going to leave me one of these days. I think I've heard you talk about that before. Probably every time you've been on. <laughs> Again, those unstable, intense interpersonal relationships, you call them, you know, turbulent for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, there's impulsivity issues. Um, sometimes you get people who have recurrent Um, which just means often suicidal thoughts, behaviors, gestures. I know Mm. that's part of your story as well. Mm -hmm. Just instability in mood. Right. Chronic feelings of emptiness. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes there can be like intense or difficulty um, controlling anger or other emotions, Mm -hmm. as well as um, sometimes there's disassociative symptoms, which is basically, I like the the picture of, um, in those old cartoons where someone would die and their like ghosts would kind of at, like pull out of their body. Yes. And that's like mm-hmm. de- uh, disassociation of like, I'm here, but no one's home. 
Right. And so, yeah. So does any of that resonate with you about your diagnosis? And um, can you tell us a little bit about what it was like to have that diagnosis? Sure. I really feel like that there are some key words that you just described that um, resonate with me more than others. But bottom line is, for me, it's just so... uh, I suddenly feel so irrational, I guess, is one of the things that happens when it's coming on. Um, I can just have been in a great experience, a great con- um, a great conversation, and then suddenly all these emotions, and yes, it does formulate a mood, mm-hmm. uh, come and they just overwhelm me to the point where I just feel like I have to reach out or isolate. And with some people, I reach out. With some people, I isolate and kind of like in my own mind, ghost them for a while. Mm-hmm. They don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's because to them, we just had this great conversation. So why can't I carry that with me and be reassured for an extended amount of time? And I can't, I'm, I usually say I, I want to hold on to it so bad, but it's like slippery mm-hmm. and, uh, I leave it. And when I reach back out, the person is totally blindsided. Mm-hmm. Like this is what just happened or even a day or two before. And where did you go in between now and then? And how can I make that better? And this not be a recurring thing because I am here for you. I am a part of your world. I, I, I didn't give you any clues of the fact that I'm going anywhere. So how did you get there? And so that's something that those are some of the terms, I guess, or words that people have said to me when this happens. So when I went away for eating disorder treatment for anorexia a few years ago, I was just getting an overall evaluation and, you know, some testing done, not like written testing done, but just communicative testing and it was very um I just felt very vulnerable so I feel like I was at my most honest self Mm -hmm. and I just felt like it was very important while I was in the hospital to let's just kind of run the gamut and not just focus on eating disorder and the depression it causes because of malnourishment also um chemical imbalance because of lack of nourishment and other reasons but when she was asking me questions, Dr. Her, Dr. Godwin um, out of Lauria was asking me questions. And she just kind of stopped cold in her tracks when we were communicating. And I had no idea what she was about to say, nor had I ever heard of borderline personality disorder. So it really scared me because I was like, here is yet another uh, diagnosis, mm-hmm. another thing that is probably stereotyped and I feel buried because I'm already here for these other things that are in critical condition. And now we're going to add another one immediately. I just, I didn't even ask her really what it was in that moment. I don't think I could formulate those words. Really. I was just very overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And also when it said personality disorder, and I've always been extroverted. I was like, what path have I left behind me yeah. that people see that I wasn't aware of? Mm. Um, and it didn't answer all my questions about why my whole life I've struggled, even though I love relationships so much. Mm-hmm. I just felt like, wow, what 
what must people think of me that are in my life as acquaintances all the way to people who are super close in my life, like my family, Doug, um, closest of friends. And I was just really scared in that yeah. moment. Yeah. Well, and I think I think for me too, Phoebe, it was it was misunderstanding. I mean, I, when they said, or when Stacy told me, I can't remember if it was that she told me or I was in with the doctor and they told us, but I remember feeling like, you know, almost defensive because I was thinking, I heard, I heard personality disorder. I didn't hear or understand what the borderline piece of that meant. Mm-hmm. And, and I've even found when, when maybe we talk to somebody else and we mention the diagnosis borderline personality disorder, unless someone's familiar with that or has heard that before or maybe you know, has someone in their life that's experienced it, I see kind of in their reaction almost the same way I think I reacted, which was thinking, okay, that's somehow tied to multiple personality disorder. Yeah. I think that that personality disorder, that's that's how, for me at least, I, I'd only heard that term used before. And so you kind of latch onto that. And I, and I remember I did become very defensive, like, you don't have that. You've never, I've never once seen you, you know, have any tendencies of schizophrenia. And it scared me because I'm thinking, you know, now they're saying that there's, you know, this, this issue. But it was all my, it was complete misunderstanding on my part. But then when I began to kind of get a little bit better understanding of what the diagnosis of borderline personality yeah. disorder, what that meant, that uh, I began to realize, okay, that does make sense. And it really began to explain a number of things that I think Stacy and I had, had seen, had encountered, had experienced over many, many, many years, even as she was beginning her mental health journey and, and, and well into that mental health journey of, of recovery and getting help, is that while there were diagnoses of depression, certainly the, the struggle with an eating disorder, I think anxiety often flowed out of those things. It was almost like the borderline personality disorder really began to kind of, okay, this ties it together. This is the string that kind of you can trace back through and see, well, maybe some, you know, again, I'm not here to diagnose Stacy or to take the place of any doctor or medical professional, but maybe this is the root cause often of what mm-hmm. these other things, you know, not, they're not just symptoms, but these other things flow out of is a lot of this kind of root cause. And so that did begin to make a lot of sense to me. And it also really began to explain a number of things we had just journeyed and walked through together and, and, and wrestled with together probably for a lot of years. But I will say, even to this day, when I, when I mention borderline personality, I, I can almost look at people and say they're thinking multiple personalities, schizophrenia, they're not connecting. And I then have to try to explain to them, well, what do I mean by that? What is borderline personality disorder? I knew and those closest to me actually saw that there were more than an anorexia and chemical imbalance situation going on in my mind and it too spilled out over all of my days and it still does. Mm -hmm. So even though it was hard to receive the diagnosis, the more we've learned about it, like Doug said, the more explanation that we have, not for me to use as excuses, of course, and to... Um, debilitate me basically in relationships but to say okay at least at least there is at least there is a reason yeah and that has I won't say brought me comfort but it also has just kind of helped me 
and this will hopefully help people understand more about it so that that way they can go, okay, not only is Stacy describing this to help other people, but I, I have trouble explaining it myself to my closest of friends. Yeah. So this is super helpful for me as well. So, yeah. When you were talking about how like you can go from this great conversation and just be kind of paralyzed with that, one of the symptoms that we said, which was like real or imagined fear of abandonment, Mm -hmm. it almost reminded me of how, you know, how babies go through the phase of object permanence where like you hide the ball and then you show it back to them and they're like, oh my goodness, it's magic, (laughs) right? And so then there comes this point in time where they they know that the ball is under the pillow, Mm -hmm. um, even though they can't see it. And so I was thinking that you almost uh, were describing like a like a trust permanence kind of struggle of like when you're in this relationship and you're having this great conversation, you can feel the trust. It's true to your current reality. Right. Um, but when they walk away, you go, do we still have that relationship? Exactly. And so the reassurance factor is so huge. And mm-hmm. honestly, people get tired of that. Yeah. They're like, when are you going to trust me? I've not left after all these years. Why would I leave now? And that's even affected mine and Doug's relationship at times. It's either really present or it's really not in our marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I'm just so, so scared that something's going to happen to him or that he is going to leave because it's become so, so much for him that as much as he loves me, he can't tolerate it mm. anymore. And so I live in different seasons with that underlying fear. And sometimes it surfaces to where it's almost paralyzing. Yeah. And that one of the ways that people can support people with this diagnosis in their life is to not take it personally. Sure. Right. Like if, if that person is with the diagnosis is asking for reassurance and you're like, that's all I'm doing. I've been nothing but nice and kind and all those things just Mm -hmm. to remember that, that their need of reassurance is not, um, grounded in the reality of your relationship, Mm -hmm. but it is, uh, grounded with that, uh, constant intrusive thought of abandonment. That's right. And in those moments, it's like, kind of like the tunnel vision I've talked about before on the podcast about when you are in a crisis situation, this is just another form of that in my life because I, in those moments, I don't remember our, the longevity of our friendship and all the things that have been reinforced and reassured. And I can't remember what I've poured into the relationship. I, it just suddenly becomes very, very small in my mind and very much consuming. And so, yeah, I totally get that. One of the things Stacy and I, even as we kind of looked over the questions you had sent us, Phoebe, and we were prepare, preparing for this conversation, was it did hit me as we talked about that, that, you know, one of the things it's felt like at times is that, you know, the borderline personality disorder kind of serves like almost like a hole in a bucket. Mm. And so, you know, whether it be friends, our relationship, and, and if it's not prevalent, if, if, if it's not something Stacy's really wrestling with, you know, you pour into, as she just said, you pour into a relationship, you pour in, and you have kind of a level that stays, and you build from that. And, and, and then moments of doubt and moments in difficult moments, you have a reservoir in that bucket to pull from yeah. and be reminded of. And I think the borderline personality disorder often serves to be like a hole in that bucket. It's draining that out, and it's, and it's not 
anything that's intentional. But sometimes I know when we've had maybe those frustrating moments, my feeling has been, well, hey, didn't I just, we've done the, even this week or this day or this whatever the time frame was, we've done this, right? And, and using that same analogy, I'd feel like, well, I've poured into this bucket this amount. Why is that gone? And, mm-hmm. and, that, and that's where I think the border, I have to be reminded the borderline personality tends to be that hole in the bucket that drains that out. And so I feel like sometimes you're at a place you have to continually pour back in to keep that that reservoir, that level up, if that, that yeah. analogy makes sense. And to stay in the present as well. That, um, you know, Stacey, from what I heard from you, it's hard to, it's almost like a like a blank memory of like, I can't even remember you know, what it felt like 10 minutes ago to be in this really intimate conversation with this person. Right. So that for the, for the friend or the family member bringing up the past doesn't resonate with you. Right. It's not, it's not actually helpful in that moment, but like staying in the present of like, I'm, I'm here with you now. I'm, I plan on sticking here. Um, and I, and I hear, and I think to, just to validate that person that like you see that the abandonment they're feeling feels 100% real to them. Sure. And holding, holding the tension for them of, and I'm not leaving and I'm still here. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where a lot of guilt comes in for me because I'm like, gosh, this person has poured into me. But in that, like I said, in that moment, I'm not realizing that, but also just to people in my life and, and those of you who may have borderline personality disorder, I do believe them. Mm -hmm. I just, I can't get there in that moment. And and in those, in those days and um, in those episodes, for lack of a better term, um, I just, I want to so bad get Mm -hmm. to what they are saying because I do, I really do believe them. They can scroll and see texts to prove themselves. Yeah. And I can scroll and see that I've reciprocated. But it doesn't mean that in that time, it's just like my mind is literally on fire about mm-hmm. that situation. And I want to get out of the fire so bad. But it's almost like I just can't make my way. It's so heavy and smoky. Yeah. <laughs> I just can't make my way to their the reality of the situation, because even though I believe them and I'm not doubting them, I, it's just, it's just not there. Yeah. Yeah. So from my experience, um, whenever I've seen people who I think could have borderline personality disorder, or, uh, it could develop into that, uh, cause you know, one, one thing as well is like we don't diagnose personality disorders until people are adults because personality is just not stable. Sure. Uh, you can read through some of the descriptions online and you'd be like, I know a teenage girl like that. Um, yes. I know a teenage boy like that. And it's like, it's it's fine. Yeah. Um, they'll probably grow out of it. Um, whatever that particular symptom is. But I, I see that they they almost have a reversed way of trusting people like it feels more true that someone that they hardly know can be trustworthy. Um, and sometimes it's so difficult to trust those who have poured the most in, proven themselves the most mm. and almost like a rejection towards a parent or a spouse. Um, mm-hmm. Is this something that you've experienced before? And if it is, then like, gosh, especially Doug, like what do you, what do you say to uh, the friend or family member who's like, man, this is hard. Yeah, I think 
I think we do see that. I, I would, and maybe it's because we've just we've gotten into a rhythm of of how over over life and having that experience of how we we deal with that. That some of that we've just learned to manage that. I do I do think for Stacy, and for probably anyone struggling with borderline, for us at least the the face to face communication is really important. I think for any relationship that Stacy has, that's really important. I think the being able to interpret and see body language. And part of that, I think, is what's really amazing about this, and, and maybe it's not uncommon, is that for anybody that knows Stacy, Stacy has incredible people skills. And I think that's that's part of almost the curse of borderline personality for disorder in our situation is that she does so deeply love people, engages with people, but at the same time it can be extremely painful and in at times, too, certain relationships can be really, really difficult because of that, just that fear of abandonment, I think. I think the picture is sometimes you might think, well, somebody struggles with that is it's somewhat antisocial or really struggles with relationships and only has maybe a few people in their life, and that couldn't be more true. That couldn't be more false in our situation. I mean, Stacy is, is, is extremely social, outgoing, has lots of connections, relationships, and really invest deeply and heavily into those, even though at times they can cause great pain, I think, because of the borderline personality disorder. So for us, I think at times certainly there's been, and maybe when we were early in our marriage, you know, some of those 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 conflicts became overtrust, and even, you know, a, a minor conflict might really in her mind feel like, okay, this is, you know, I'm on the edge of the cliff, and this is going to shove everything over the edge of the cliff, the relationship, the marriage, the friendship, whatever it may be. But that wasn't true. That wasn't that wasn't real. And I think in our marriage, at least, it, not all the time, but many times now, we're at a much more stable place as far as that goes. I do think there are different relationships at times that can feel like that. And, and it's the, you know, so many ways we communicate in today's world electronically, that we're not seeing that face-to-face interaction. Mm-hmm. So I think the texting, particularly um, social media, for sure, those are areas which are really, really difficult. And I think kind of even create some of that rise and fear of if I say the wrong thing, if I if I accidentally write something I don't mean, or even if I, you know, in the course of any f- close friendship, there's going to be times when maybe you offend somebody, you hurt somebody, or you say the wrong thing. But I think Stacy constantly feels this this heavy pressure of I have to be perfect or everything's going to fall apart. The shoe is just waiting to drop, waiting for me to not be perfect, to not say the right thing. Um, and so it leads to a lot of parsing. And, and, and I think one of the things I have a work with help Stacy with is when we interpret maybe a text or something, it's not all the time. It's not every text or it's every message, but there are certain ones where she'll have me look at. I think in Stacy's mind, if the innuendo or or the subcontext behind this message, you know, you could think of a thousand different ways this could this person could be meaning it. Stacy's mind goes to the worst case scenario of the thousand ways, and so especially when the borderline personality story is really ramping up and really something she's wrestling with. And so part of my role, I feel like, is, as we've talked about, and it's sometimes it's to be an interpreter, and it's to help her understand, yes, one in a thousand, if this person was evil or, or only had evil intent, could it possibly mean that? But it doesn't mean this. It's, it's 
you know, 99% of the time, it's the straightforward meaning of the words, the text, the message, the context, all those things. And so I think that that's, um, that's just part of what it is. It's just, and maybe the best thing I can say is it feels like in some relationships with, when you're struggling with borderline, that the shoe is always just waiting to drop. Mm-hmm. And that probably ties back into this, this fear of abandonment, which I know for Stacy's story is tied to a lot of that trauma when she was younger. That's just a lot there. I think basically kind of a the best way I can describe it thus far in our conversation is that I live in a life of relationships, but I consistently feel so lost in them and that more specifically I feel nervous and afraid and it is exhausting, but I don't want to do life as the alternative, which is alone. Because when I do kind of isolate then my mind goes to another bad place. Yeah. So it's kind of like if I'm if I'm in, you know, the relationships, it's very, very hard. And when I go outside of them to rest, kind of take a reprieve, it's not good either. Mm. So either way I go, the fire's still there. Yeah. And so sometimes I just feel like it's just so it's so sensitive Mm -hmm. and it's just, um, I can't win in those times to say that it happens almost every day. is just not an exaggeration. Yeah. So the give up level stays pretty high, but that's where so many other factors come into my mind. Sometimes with the leadership of a friend or Doug, a family member, this is why we don't give up. This yeah. is why we don't do the final give up. Yeah. And I think that's so important for people to hear that struggle is almost daily, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, again, it's it's that reversal and it's that um, our, our internal sense of self and our internal, our internal world and how we interact with the external world from the overflow of that is just not the same experience that those of us without a personality disorder experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that like we can't emphasize that enough because if you are someone who loves someone with a personality disorder, Mm -hmm. the way you are interpreting their behavior, your relationship Mm -hmm. is not at all the same soundtrack going on in their head. That's right. And I think there's also this balance of like you as the, as the person without the diagnosis, I think it's important for uh, people like Doug and friends to be able to hold on to reality. Yes. Um, hold on to their own ability to have trust permanence. I don't know if that's a real term, but we're going to coin it here. <laughs> I <Okay>. like it. <laughs> um, hold on to their ability to have that. And so I often say like when we when we as believers can't hold on to our faith, hold on to hope, hold on to wanting to live, hold on to trust permanence, Mm -hmm. then we tether ourselves to those in our lives who can, and they hold us to it. That's right. Um, That's so true. And of all of the things, like when you were talking about just a second ago, Phoebe, that you said that those who don't have this diagnosis, of all my diagnosis, like there's a rise, unfortunately, in eating disorders. I'm not saying that that is a good thing because now I have more of a community. Oh, no. That is not 
good. And then the depression, you know, especially it's just, you know, coming up more, even though it's existed for such a long time, mm-hmm. it's just being so much more talked about. It's in time at times, I feel like the terms are even becoming a little bit overused, but this is the diagnosis that I feel like makes me feel most crazy, mm. I guess. I know that's kind of an extreme word, but that's, it's an extreme diagnosis in my life. Yeah. And yet it's so true that it does make me feel very alone in even a conversation sometimes. Mm-hmm. I struggle so much because I want to be understood. I want to, I want somebody to just go, I understand that doesn't have it so that they can hold that for me. Yeah. Like you're talking about. And I just feel it's when I'm this exhausted, I feel like they must be also. So that's where the other shoe dropping is Mm -hmm. also very true. So I think we hear sometimes that personality disorders are often developed from unstable or traumatic upbringings. Does that resonate with you? Is there anything you want to share about that? Sure. And this is where I kind of tiptoe because I know that by no means have I been like a you know, perfect parent by any means. Can I interrupt you really fast? Um, I, I always like to start off these conversations of talking about our backgrounds and upbringings. Cause like you said, no one's a perfect parent. I always come at this with all parents are doing the very best they can with what they've been given. That's right. Um, and some people just were given better tools and better environments than others. Mm -hmm. Um, but I am always believing parents are caring they're doing their best. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like, that's how I want to approach a conversation about anybody's background. That helps so, so much. Um, I, it does describe my upbringing greatly to use the words traumatic and turbulent. And I'm sad and sorry that it was like that. There was a great deal of anger, verbal and physical abuse. There was repeated abandonment occurrences. And as a little kid, all the way through high school, I thought a lot of it was because of me and because of my actions. And honestly, no one was telling me any different. So that became a lot of kind of the, just who I felt like I was. And, and it's definitely spilled over to me as an adult. And I've heard so many times you know, why do we always have to go back to childhood? Why do we have to do these things? I mean, that was such a long time ago. You know, you're, you're a grown person. And so you can't just blame everything on your childhood. And while I respect what the person is trying to emphasize in that, those things become a part of your core belief of who you are. Mm -hmm. Yes, I have the Lord. So Um, a lot of those things can be restored. Uh, A lot of things have been restored within my family. But trauma and the things that happened in the four walls have left quite a big wake in my life. And so it's not an issue of I'm just going to hold on to it. And all my uh, counseling sessions are just about how um, unequipped or bad my parents were. It's how to manage life with the things that have happened, Mm -hmm. not bashing people from my past and um, who have, you know, made changes in their lives. But I do feel like I'm on the coattails of a lot of that. 
some specific examples were like there was often economic poverty when I was growing up. There, even when my parents divorced when I was a senior in high school, my mom and I lived um, with very little food, mm-hmm. almost no money. And so some of these things of, well, it just carried over. If I would have done better, if I would have been better, then these things wouldn't have gotten to this point in my life. And like I said, no one was stepping up in a, an adult way and saying, no, this isn't you. This is my decision. This is what I did. And so I feel like me, and I can't speak for all situations, but in my life as a kid wanting to hold on to dear life, um, for dear life to my parents because they were my safety yet scary, mm-hmm. I would have died on that hill just going, it's, it's got to be me because if I say it's them, I'm going to lose everybody. Yeah. And, and a lot of what you're talking about is uh, just the concept of attachment so that we all are born into this world needing people, mm-hmm. uh, needing, needing to be taken care of. And so attachment is just the bond between a child and their caregiver. And when that bond is marked by abuse or neglect, or even dismissiveness of emotions, mm-hmm. or um, trying to get our emotional needs as the parent met through the child, that's mm-hmm. another way. These are all ways that attachment goes wrong. Sure. Um, and when attachment Uh, when secure attachment is not achieved, which basically means that I have a parent who is comfortable enough with me exploring my world in an age appropriate way, um, but can also be the wise and kind person that I, in the secure base that I go back to. Right. When that cycle is uh, not completed or um, has holes in it, then we, we, um, our ability to form trust and Mm -hmm. have an intuition about who is trustworthy and, um, have trust permanence mm-hmm. is significantly damaged. And that's even at like a, a brain neurological level. So sure. when, when people ask you and when people ask me even, you know, why do I have, why do people talk about childhood? That's so, that's so Freud or whatever. Sure. Um, yeah. I go because our brains were uh, just ripe for forming when we were children. Mm-hmm. And so they were formed a certain way to trust people, to interact with the world, to trust ourselves or to not trust people, not interact with the world, not be able to trust ourselves. And that formed us at a neurological level. And so when we have these like reparative relationships later in life with a counselor, with a husband, when we become parents, even we can start to rewire our own brains Mm -hmm. towards what is good and true and beautiful. Mm -hmm. I think the unfortunate thing is that our brains are so ripe for rewire for it to be wired a certain way when we're little. Right. And it takes so much more work as an adult to rewire your brain. Sure. And so when people ask me that, I'm like, this is why it's it's actual, like just the science of your brain Mm -hmm. um, and the way that that works. And so, well, and you, you can, be in community with people who've done the work mm-hmm. and you can be in community with people who've just let it go. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine if I wasn't trying to do the work and it's messy at best even in that, mm-hmm. but it's almost like when you know that you've had an injury and you need to go to PT and you decide not to, that limp just doesn't go away. Yeah. And so with my situation, I, I want to do the work and I, and I'm faithful to go to my appointments. I'm faithful to ask God, please, please, would you just help this part of me to get stronger and for the 
hurt to get less and the misunderstandings to get less. But I still need some of this PT going on. Um, And I don't want to give up in it. And I can say on a daily basis that I go to my appointments and and work hard on it. Um, My doctors have told me I work very hard in my appointments and then to leave and do what is in my appointment instructions. And then the next day, though, I'll get up and it's there again. Mm -hmm. So it's like Doug talking about the bucket. Can I just stop losing ground so that I can get a little bit of a grip in the midst of all of it? And yet it wakes me up in the morning. And so I sometimes I know how hard I'm working and not only does it not probably show to the people in my life, but I don't see it sometimes in myself. And I'm like, why am I doing this? Well, I'm doing this because I have a family and because I want to have more and more hope because I do have the Lord. And I also do it because I want to be able to get on speak out loud and say, I'm fighting. Would you fight with me? You can't ask people to fight with you if you're not willing to fight yourself And that's super important to me to have integrity in that. I love that. Yeah. So one of the symptoms of uh, borderline personality disorder is uh, kind of a tendency to help self-harm. And I know we had talked about that's that's part of your story as well. Mm -hmm. How are those two things linked for you? Yeah. When I feel like that I don't get it or when I feel like maybe I'm being misunderstood when I'm trying my best. Mm -hmm. That feels so bad. It feels so defeating. And that's one of the aspects of eating disorder and chemical imbalance and the anxiety that just all kind of hit home at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a people pleaser, and I found that to be common when I was in treatment to anorexia and or eating disorder in general. So when that is so loud and then the depression is working against me, in the, and I'm trying to work on that and just stay in the word and, you know, listening to worship music and um, those things. You know, I have tools that are getting a little stronger in those areas. Mm-hmm. But with with the borderline, it feels like that's what shakes me to my core because mm-hmm. I have been left. Yeah. And those things have happened. So when I'm in that situation, I'm like, if I can just have a brief recession from this. Yeah. I will do it. It's only temporary, but in that moment, temporary counts. Yeah. And uh I'm sitting there and I'll be like, okay, what are my options? Well, I don't want to be a hypocrite and do speak out loud and also be um an honest Christian yeah. in the messiness of that, which God knew would happen. But I also need reprieve. I need a minute just to be able to focus on something different than my mind. And so that's when I start thinking of, okay, what are the tools that I have? And I mean physical tools, not yeah. the tools I've been taught in counseling. Oh. You know, what what do I have? I don't go to the the um, the the healthy response in that moment. Yeah. I'm very much going, if I can just focus on something else, a, a cut, a burn, a, anything like that, that's better than what's going on right now. Because not only can I have struggles with con- controlling my mind in those times, mm-hmm. it's obviously not happening, but also I can't control the other person's response. And when I can't do that and I can't help them get there, um, with me texting or literally saying I'm struggling so much right now in those moments, I also think if I'm this desperate and my mind goes to self-harm and suicide, 
everybody else's must as well. And I don't want to drive that person there either. So I need this pain because number one, I deserve it. Mm. And number two, if it gives me just a second to catch my breath while I'm doing the act, I'm in. Now, in those moments, just like with things when you're trying to make permanent decisions, when you've got that tunnel vision happening, you're not thinking consequences. Nope. And that's what's so scary about borderline and depression, anxiety, all the things is not thinking consequentially. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I need prayer. That's why the person in your life needs prayer, that they will not hit that wall and go to that place of permanence. Yeah. Um, that is a very scary place for everyone around you, but it is magnified when you're the one doing it and you just want relief. So it's almost like you're in a bargaining situation and you're just going, which is worse, what I'm doing in this moment or the feeling in my mind, the feeling of possible abandonment or the feeling of a cut. I will say self-harm is I'm coming, I've come some ways with self-harm, but also I think it's important to say I'm not on text or in a conversation with someone saying I'm going to self-harm. Because you're not giving me the response that I was hoping for, that I want, or that I can't hang on to. And if you could, you probably would say that. Yes. Yeah. But I just feel like manipulation is not my goal. No. I feel like in those moments I'm going, it's, it almost loses its intensity for how sick that sounds if I do out myself. And I, in those moments, I don't want somebody rushing to my side and going, you don't need to do that. I'm going, listen, this is what's best for you. And this is what's best for me. And it couldn't be further from the truth. Mm -hmm. And I understand that. But that's the danger in mental illness. Mm -hmm. That's the reality of mental illness. And that's why it's not something just to brush over and go, you know what? You know, no, I've never attempted or never done these different things like that. But there is a fear that can come with that. So even though you can't Fix the person in your life who struggles with mental illness. Something you can do, like you've talked about, is the reassurance factor. Mm-hmm. And if you're tired of doing that, imagine how tired the person is of needing that when you're in a world, a community, a Christian community saying, you know, the, the main thing that you need is to realize that your whole safety comes from the Lord. That is so true. It does. But there is this side over here that is just devastatingly hard. And I didn't put it there, but it is still very, very present and invasive. And how can we, you know, you were talking about the person who maybe feels tired of reassuring, but how can you be the hands and feet on the ground security of Jesus to this person in a way that still fits into your capacity, Mm -hmm. your abilities? Um, I know the people in my life and possibly in other people's lives who have mental illness want to be able to fix them and relieve them of all of the pain that they experience on a daily basis. Um, even through the night, a lot of the times, but one of the best things that someone can do is pray for me or pray with me and just let me know that they take this seriously enough to take it to the father because he cares about all the things, all the things And he cares about me. He cares about you. I think those reminders are not subtle. They are like when my mind is hurting and it is just screaming 
for someone to come in and say, I care about you or to remind me that the Lord made me on purpose for his purpose. Those things are so, so valuable. But also I want to say that when somebody tells me a scripture verse or says that they're praying a scripture verse over me or that this verse reminded them to reach out to me, that's powerful. That is so incredibly powerful and irreplaceable in my life. Um, I, I not only sometimes can't get there at first by myself, but once I receive something like that or am told something like that face-to-face on the phone through text, it reminds me that I can do the same. I can go seek out God's word and I can learn those things as well on my own. It just kind of inspires me. If not in that very moment, I mean, just as soon as I can get my feet back on the ground, that's what I do because God is the equalizer in my brain. He's the one who comes in and calms that storm that can be going on. And being the hands and feet of Jesus may be someone going, you know what, let me help you see what you cannot see right now and experience what you on your own cannot get to experience right now. And then we'll go from there. I'm not asking people in my life to be my counselor, but I am so badly wanting to keep them as my friends keep them in friend zone so that that way my counselors can do what they need to do. My doctors need to do, can do what they need to do. But to say that I don't need those hands and feet of Jesus because it's mental illness and there's not something possibly they could do is a really big understatement because they can by just um, being with me, sitting with me, letting that turbulence wash over me so that that way I can make it into the next breath, to the next moment to the next season to the next etc year um it's those baby steps that mean so so much so you're not helpless as a friend or a loved one a family member you are not helpless in this situation keep bringing them truth and most importantly don't give up on them so what i know this is like a a weird shift Um, (laughs) it's okay but I, I do think it's important to, um, to, to hold the tension of both things, of the intensity of mm-hmm. someone's internal world who has borderline. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like everything is all or nothing. Mm-hmm. And to hang on to the reality that the rest of us perceive as reality is the, the difficult and daily challenge of someone with borderline. Sure. And I I don't think that we all get to know why things happen this side of heaven. Sure. But I do wonder if you've ever thought about like, how is this experience of having borderline personality disorder? Is it even a part of how you see God sanctifying you? Um, Yeah. And and if it is like, what, what gives you hope kind of, uh, I don't don't even know if I want to say in spite of this disorder, but like with with it. it. Yeah. 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 I will say that this is probably the hardest question Mm -hmm. because I'm going to be honest, you deserve honesty, Mm -hmm. but it also means vulnerability for me. So if you will just kind of bear with me with this one, um, I think that borderline has made me very humble because I never feel like, and humility is, scripture wise is not a bad thing 
Humility just means I'm going to admit that I don't have it all together, but I know who does. Mm -hmm. That's super, super important to me and something my, my family and friends and daughters even saw at a very young age. I can see or read in, in a text or see in a person's face that when I'm off and that keeps me very humble and I don't ever in the mental illness journey want to act like I've got it licked <laughs> and that I just am, no matter how much healing I experience this side of heaven, I just always want it to be that I can totally draw my energy, my resources from the Lord. But part of that is me doing what he has called me to do here on earth and to be obedient. So it can help me be drawn closer to God. Um, but this honestly is still just a huge work in progress with me and with the Lord. I would love to say that I feel every moment like he is with me in this. Mm-hmm. But um, it's my <clears throat> it's my biggest fear. And Right now, it's hard to see how, right now, it's hard to see how it's making me more like Jesus, quite honestly. I'm truly just trying to hang on in in all areas, but also let him hang on to me and believe that even in this area, he will f- have the glory. Um, I really want that. Yeah. I want him to have the glory. You often hear people say he doesn't waste our suffering. Um And it feels like sometimes it's a punishment to be as relational as I am and for them to be my hardest thing. Yeah. One, one way I see this in you is, and especially through this conversation is, uh, one way you're like Jesus is just in total dependency of the father every day that a lot of us could live a pretty decent life. Yeah. By worldly standards, um, without even really thinking about God. Sure. But that is the, those are the upside down virtues of the kingdom of heaven Yeah, is that those who don't look like they have any power are the ones that are blessed because they are the people who cannot ignore their dependency on God. We all have a need for God. Yeah. Um, and you absolutely can't get through a day with that if you ignore it. Yeah. That's. Thank you for knowing that because I think if some people look at my life, they would be very confused mm. and that bothers me greatly. But at the same time, if they'll just hear me or know Jesus, even more importantly, that it can be messy and still be a very, it's my most important relationship. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like I'm screaming that on the inside, but it sometimes doesn't show on the outside Mm. because you can't categorize, you can't split your mind in in more ways possibly than than I've tried Mm -hmm. to section things off so that they don't spill onto the next thing and spill onto the next thing and so on. But um, for me, this is where I just can feel like God is so near and then I can also feel like he is so far away. But the truth is he is near. The little moments of time where I can see that all is moving 
forward, even if, like I say, often in a shuffle, this is my hardest one, but it's the one that provokes most trust because of that. I just have to go, God, I just have to trust that you knew before I was even born that this was going to be another one and possibly my most um, scary diagnosis. And while you don't want me to live under it um, and be defeated in it, God, um, I just need him in this the most. And this is the one that gets the most murky for me. But I think that's why we need to shed light on it. Because if it's that way for me, how many people is it like that for them and how lonely they must feel? And I just don't want you to feel that way. I don't want you to feel like God is left. So he is near. It's just sometimes hard to see, but um, every day you can ask, ask God to help you see him more and more in all areas of struggle that you may have and suffering that you may have. Um, and you may not always see him, but there's evidence of him through there. I love that. Doug, you got anything? Well, I think when, when we were going over these questions last night, you know, what's interesting is that for Stacy, I know particularly this, you can hear her, emotion but also I think that's just the vulnerability the rawness the honesty but that was actually coming out last night as even just the two of us said and kind of talked through questions and prepared I think it's a tough it's a tough question because you want to have you want to have this clear-cut picture and oh yeah here's how God's been shaping me through this and here's this this and this and I think what we really came down to was just this this kind of thought and faith of we know that one day we'll be able to turn around and look back and see the fruit that that God was developing through this. But really right now, and probably in many, many instances, it's kind of a moment by moment, I'm just going to try to hang on and survive. Mm. And so I think in the midst of that, yes, we know God doesn't waste suffering. And Stacy actually had me go and write this down. God doesn't waste our suffering but it's just that right now sometimes you can't see it. You can't see what the suffering is producing. And so that's where I do think it takes faith. And I do think it takes trust. And, I, you know, I, I appreciate, Phoebe, what you said about secure attachment. I, I follow some different podcasts and sources and, and, and just others that really have been talking a lot about that lately. And it does, you know, I think for someone that, that grew up in an environment where that was just there and it developed and our brains were able to develop with that. We don't realize how much that also plays into our ability, a more natural, if that word is true, natural or clearer brain path to trusting God. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, what the beauty is though, is that God, for those that struggle with secure attachment or never really had that. And so therefore it's tough to trust God. God's not looking at them with like a firmness or an anger or or even like we sometimes fear our friends look at us like, well, why, why can't you trust me? I've proven myself and over again. I think there's a compassion there because he understands even more deeply than we could ever or our therapist or our doctor, whoever could ever even explain to us or understand just those brain pathways. And certainly he wants to help us grow and, 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 and build those new pathways in our brain. But he also 
has compassion to realize that it may be a long journey. It could be a journey of a lifetime. And so I think that's encouraging to me is that God looks at me, God looks at us, looks at Stacy in that way with that kind of compassion. And even despite some of these areas of brokenness, he loves us and he loves us even more. He runs to us in those moments. Gosh, I just love what both of you said. And the thing that I kept thinking is by the world standards, we, we are outcomes evaluators, right? Like if you've ever been a part of a, an organization, it's always like, what are the outcomes? What are the deliverables? Mm -hmm. You know, all those kinds of buzzwords. And that's how we measure, are we doing a good enough job or not? Right. And, um, when you, as, as believers, we live in light of eternity Mm -hmm. in light of a never ending kingdom of God. That's one day going to come and reunite with, with earth and, um, and be the new creation. Mm -hmm. And so when we live with that timeline in our heads, Mm -hmm. um, we'll know the outcomes at some point. Um, but it may never on this side of eternity, we may never see that. And I think that, that that is where we cultivate that, um, fruit of the spirit of faith Mm -hmm. that, that we can't see it. But we trust that God sees it. We trust that um, our dependency on God is fruit. Yeah, that's right. And it can be such an amazing thing to see those things. So you can't discount them when you see it. Yeah. (laughs) You know, a lot of people will say, when I get to heaven, this is what I'm going to ask. Honestly, this is the last thing I'm going to ask because I'm going to just be so glad and not remember, but, um, I'm going to be so glad that it's not there anymore. Absolutely. And that's where true freedom will come. And, um, that's what I look forward to more than anything. Yeah. And that's our hope as Christians is that, um, God will wipe every tear away Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, everything will be made new. Yep. And all the broken things will be unbroken and, um, We'll just get to stand and, and bask in the glory of God. That's right. I'm staking my life on it. <laughs> 100%. Man, thank you guys for having me. Thanks for having this conversation with me. I've learned so much from you guys. Mm. Stacy. thank you for your honesty and vulnerability. I, I I feel how scary that could be for me, and mm-hmm. especially in getting some insight into your mind today. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going to amplify that and imagine what is what that's like for you. Sure. But I also know that there are people who struggle in similar ways Mm -hmm. and people who love those people that really, really need to hear the honesty, the vulnerability, Mm -hmm. the lows and the highs. And so I'm just so glad that you guys share, share your story with the world. Thank you so much, Phoebe. 